Well, we're finishing up our When God Doesn't Make Sense series today, and obviously next week we're starting our Christmas series, uh, but uh, we were supposed to end this last week, but I really felt compelled to, uh, to continue this week and uh, just talk about something else when things don't make sense. So my, my father, he had uh, a different upbringing to most people. He was born in the 1940s in Newport, South Wales, and uh, the area was a very industrial area. Area, but he was born just after World War II, and he was born to uh, to his parents, who were his father was named Leslie, and his mother's name was Elsie. They were a godly couple. Who uh, he was a local preacher and local pastor, and uh, a very sincere man. Everybody loved my grandfather. Uh, he uh, God had used him in amazing ways. He had seen amazing healings. He had seen uh, many people come to know Jesus Christ uh, through just his teaching and his preaching. And uh, and and they were a great family. They, they they weren't rich, but they didn't live paycheck to paycheck either. They were uh, an average middle class family. When, uh, when World War II was happening, my grandfather, because he was a preacher, he was allowed to stay in England while everybody else, all the other guys, had to go to the Western Front um, of World War II and fight against the, uh, Nazi Germany. But he was allowed to stay uh, in uh, his hometown. Uh, but the people who stayed still had to work uh, in the war effort. And so uh, during the evenings, he would go to a local factory uh, that had been turned into a weapons factory. And one evening... Uh, my grandmother, Elsie, said to him, she said, she said, I don't want you to go to the factory tonight. And he was like, why, why not? She goes, I just have a bad feeling about it. Well, my grandfather never missed a day of work. And so even if he felt bad, he still didn't miss work. So he planned on going. He got his coat. But my grandmother insisted and insisted that he did not go to work that night because she had a bad feeling. And so he listened to his wife, and he called in, and he said he wasn't going to be able to go in that night. That night, a Nazi bomb landed on that factory, and everybody in that factory died. And, and they knew immediately that God was protecting him. But yet, several years later, my father has been born, and he is now seven years old. My auntie is nine years old. My father said he came home from school one day, and there were people in his house, his auntie and uncle were there, and he said his mother, my grandmother, was in tears, and she told him that her father, his father, just had a heart attack, and he had died. At the age of 44, my father was seven, my auntie was nine years old, they lost, his fa they lost their father. So the rest of his life, he grew up without a father, he grew up with his mother really struggling to make ends meet. She worked many long hours just to make ends meet. She never married again. And my father, still to this day, will not talk about his father. The pain of losing him was so much. It makes you wonder, okay, God, you spared his life from a Nazi Germany bomb, but yet a few years later he dies of a heart attack. Why? Why did he have to get taken so early? He, he was doing great things for God. He was living for God. He was telling other people about the Lord. And, and he was raising a good family, but yet God took him early. 
why did God do that? Why did God take it so early in his life? And I bet many of you in this room, you have wondered with people that you love, people that you know, people that you cherish, God, why did they have to go so early in their life? Why did you have to take them from us? They had so much of their life left. They weren't old. They were younger. Why, God, did you have to take them when they were so young in life? I'm sure all of us have suffered that kind of loss or have known of somebody who has been taken so early. I remember the first memorial service that I ever did as pastor at Generation Church. It was for a baby who lived just a few hours. And you think, God, why? Why allow that baby to be born in this earth and then to go so quickly? Earlier this year, I took a memorial service for a young girl who uh, I believe was just about 30 years old. And she had passed away, leaving four young children and had to take this memorial service. And you think, God, why? Why does this girl have to leave so early and leave four young children to grow up without a mother? And you go through these things in life and you go, God, this doesn't make sense. Some people, they live forever and then others are taken so early. Why are they taken from us? And, and when you read through the Bible, you see so many Bible heroes and people of faith who were examples of people who were taken early or taken before they saw God fulfill in their lives all that they had lived their lives to fulfill. Last week, we talked about Abraham. Now, Abraham didn't die a young man, but Abraham never saw the fulfillment of the promise that God gave to him. God had promised that his descendants would be as numerous as the stars in the sky, but he died just with one son. Then you, you, you look at other people like Enoch in the Bible. There's hardly anything mentioned about this guy Enoch, but he walked with the Lord, and then the Bible says, and then God took him. And he was, not, he was no longer because God took him. God took him early. You think of someone like Moses. Moses, he lived his whole life trying to lead the people of God into the promised land. But yet, he was so faithful to God. But yet, right at the end of his life, he still never saw the promise of God fulfilled in his life. And he wasn't the one to lead the people into the promised land. Instead, his successor, Joshua, was. Think of someone like Samson. Samson, he's the big, big strong guy in the Bible with big, long hair. He died in an early age in one last battle against the Philistines. So much promise, so much potential, but cut short. Samuel never saw David become king of Israel. David never saw, saw his dream for a temple to be built in Israel to come to fruition. Instead, it was his son Solomon. Even kings like Hezekiah, Hezekiah was going to die early. He prayed to God that God would give him life. And God says, okay, I'll give you 15 more years. But still died relatively early. Then you go to the New Testament. And you see great men like Stephen and James and even Peter. Who all died before what we would consider their time. Died before great gray hairs even landed on their head. And when you look through the stories of the Bible and these men and women who did great things for God and they were taken so early, when you think of the people in our lives who may at times we have lost, it makes you realize that life is so fragile, life is so short. Never take for granted waking up in the morning with breath still in your lungs. Never take for granted. Because 
You never know what a day may bring. You may never know what the next day may hold. You may walk home one day as a seven-year-old boy and find out that your father has just died of a heart attack. You may get that phone call that you dread to get. Life is so short. Never take for granted breath in your lungs. These stories in the Bible of these Bible heroes make you wonder why some leave this life so early and why others continue to have breath when it's obvious that God should have taken them already. So my one grandfather died when my dad was seven. I never knew him. My other grandfather, he just passed away this last year and he was 95 years old when he passed away and we'd been praying for four to five years that God would take him. Because his health had just deteriorated so much. His mind uh, through dementia had deteriorated so much that now he was in a state that he would have never dreamed to be in. A man who was once of dignity, a man who who once was, was, was a man of honor and a caring man, suddenly in the last years of his life, he became someone that we did not know. Because of what dementia had done to him, he said things that he would have never dreamed of saying. He did things he would have never dreamed of doing. He was a shadow of his former self. And we always ask God, why are you not taking him? Why is he still continue to live and continue to suffer? Why are you not taking him? So it makes you wonder. Well, I want to introduce you to someone today who, who, who you would have thought God would have given long life to. You would have thought that God would have, would, would have given him such long life and, and God would have honored him, but instead his life was cut short. His, he, he was in, in, in full steam ahead. He was, had so much momentum. He was doing so many things for God, but God took his life. His name is John the Baptist. And through John the Baptist's life, even though he lived only a few years and did not live his, his full, what we say, 80 years or 70 years in life, we see that God did more in him in those few years than what most people would do in a full lifetime. So if you've got your Bibles, if you want to turn to Mark chapter 1. Mark chapter 1, and we're going to start reading at verse 1. And we're going to introduce you to John the Baptist this morning. It says this in, John, in Mark 1, verse 1. This is the good news about Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God. It began just as the prophet Isaiah had written. Look, I am sending my messenger ahead of you, and he will prepare your way. He is a voice shouting in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord's coming. Clear the road for him. This messenger was John the Baptist. He was in the wilderness and preached that people should be baptized to show that they had repented of their sins and turned to God to be forgiven. All of Judea, including all the people of Jerusalem, went out to see and hear John. And when they confessed their sins, he baptized them in the Jordan River. His clothes were woven from coarse camel hair and he wore a leather belt around his waist. For food, he ate locusts and honey. That's crazy. Then it says this, John announced, someone is coming soon who is greater than I am, so much greater that I am not even worthy to stoop down like a slave and untie the straps of his sandals. I baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. So now we're introduced to this guy called John the Baptist. He was like a hippie preacher. 
His church was out in the wilderness. He was out in the sticks in the open, and he had long hair. His clothes were a little strange. He had coarse camel hair, and then his belt tied around him. He walked around, and he ate locusts and honey. And uh, I'm sure his doctor kind of were like, you need a little bit more nutritious diet than this, but no, locusts and honey. Uh, And he, he preached this message that nobody had ever really heard before. And he preached the message that, 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 that the Messiah is coming and, and that you are to repent of your sins and turn back to God. And then what happened when people repented, he would take them down to the river and he would dunk them in the river as a symbol that their sins had been forgiven and that they had turned back to God. John the Baptist has started to get a name for himself. People started to follow him. The Bible says that all of Judea came out and people from Jerusalem came out to see him. They didn't mind the, 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 the drive out into the wilderness because they wanted to see this guy. This guy had so much to give, so much to say. He, he'd become influential with many people. Even high-ranking officers in the government had, had, had seen what John the Baptist and heard him and he had respect from them. He had influence. He had lots of followers. And this man was doing great things for God. In fact, many people believe that John the Baptist was, were, were, was uh, what you call a Nazarite. What a Nazarite is, it was somebody who had taken a vow. And it was a vow to, to give their life a service unto God. Now, Nazarites had all these certain things in common. Firstly, they were not allowed to eat or drink anything from the vine. So there was, they were not, not allowed to drink alcohol. They, they were not allowed to eat grapes or eat tomatoes from the vine. That, uh, that, that, that They were very strict. They were not allowed to be in the presence of a dead body. And so they could never go to a funeral. They could never go to a viewing. And if they, they had and they were in the presence of a dead body, then they broke their vow as a Nazarite. The, the most common thing about a Nazarite or, 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 or what, what you saw most about them is that they never cut their hair. And, and so it must have been a nightmare to like dry their hair in the morning and get out for work, but they never cut their hair. And so there's other examples in the Bible of people like this. Samson was one of them. Remember, Samson had long hair and his, his power was in his hair. And then when his hair got cut, his power left. And that's because the vow to gods got cut with it. Many people believe Samuel was a Nazarite as well. And so people believe that John the Baptist was a Nazarite. A Nazarite was someone who was seen as set apart and chosen by God for a specific purpose. They had purpose in life. Now the Bible tells us that John the Baptist's father was a priest. He was a Jewish priest. His name was Zechariah. And he had been the miracle baby of Zechariah and his wife Elizabeth. For Elizabeth had got a little older and was unable to have children. And God had given them this child called John, who became known as John the Baptist. John was doing amazing things for God. He had his followers He had respect in high places. Many were turning their hearts back to God because of John the Baptist. He was on course to go into the Israel Hall of Fame because he was doing amazing things. And you would think that God would have given him long life. 
but that is not John's story. Let's see what happened to John. Turn to Mark chapter 6 and start reading at verse 17. It says there, For Herod had sent soldiers to arrest and imprison John as a favor to Herodotus. Now, Herod was the king of Judah at the time. Herodotus was his wife. Herodotus had been his brother Philip's wife, but Herod had married her. It's like, uh uh-oh, Jerry Springer coming on. Says John had been telling Herod, it is against God's law for you to marry your brother's wife. So Herodotus bore a grudge against John and wanted to kill him. But without Herod's approval, she was powerless. For Herod respected John, and knowing that he was a good and holy man, he protected him. Herod was greatly disturbed whenever he talked with John. But even so, he liked to listen to him. Herodotus' chance finally came on Herod's birthday. He gave a party for his high government officials, army officers, and leading citizens of Galilee. Then his daughter, also named Herodotus, they've got like no creativity with their names at all, right? His daughter came in and performed a dance that greatly pleased Herod and his guests. Ask me for anything you like, the king said to the girl, and I will give it to you. He even vowed, I will give you whatever you ask, up to half of my kingdom. She went out and asked her mother, what should I ask for? Her mother told her, ask for the head of John the Baptist. So the girl hurried back to the king and told him, I want the head of John the Baptist right now on a tray. Then the king deeply regretted what he had said. But because of the vows he had made in front of his guests, he couldn't refuse her. So he immediately sent an executioner to the prison to cut off John's head and bring it to him. The soldier beheaded John in the prison, brought his head on a tray and gave it to the girl who took it to her mother. When John's disciples heard what had happened, they came to get his body and buried it in a tomb. What a sad, sad end to John the Baptist's life. He was doing nothing wrong. He he was just speaking up when God had told him to speak up. He was saying the right things that he should say. He was saying the things to Herod that nobody else wanted to say, but everybody knew that they should say it. And as a result, John the Baptist lost his life. This is what we know from this story. Evil is powerful. Evil is powerful. Don't try to argue it at all because evil is a powerful thing. We live in an evil world. And at times it seems that evil prevails over good. When we started this series four weeks ago, we just heard the news down in Texas of a man who went into a little Baptist church and killed many people. We we saw a couple of uh, months ago of of a man who shot a bunch of people in Las Vegas. We go back to earlier this year and you see events in Orlando over the last several years. We've seen ISIS that they have destroyed so many lives. Evil is powerful. And there is evil in this world. We lived in a tarnished world where love and good does not always prevail. 
And, and sometimes we can sit in our churches or we can switch on TV and we can, we can think, well, just because we have God, that means everything is always good. Everything is always okay. That means that good always prevails over evil. But the reality is, is we live in an evil world where evil is powerful. Sometimes the evil desires of our own hearts will seem even more powerful than the good in our hearts. And this is the reality of the human life. Think about King Herod for a moment. King Herod, he actually, in a roundabout way, liked John the Baptist. In fact, John seemed to be making inroads into the heart of Herod. A spiritual breakthrough was starting to happen where Herod's heart was turning towards God. He didn't really like what John had to say, but he knew what John said was right, and he liked listening to John the Baptist. The Bible says he even protected John the Baptist. But yet Herod took the life of a young John the Baptist and had him beheaded. It's not that Herod wanted to. But there were two overriding factors in while Herod took the life of John the Baptist. The first is because of lust. The second is because of pride. Lust and pride. There are two things in this world that will make this world much better. And that is love and humility. And the opposite of those is lust and pride. Lust and pride. Herod lusted for his brother's wife. So much so that he took her as his own wife. That lust started to get into his heart. And that lust controlled his heart. He could not get away from that lust. There was no really love between Herod and Herodus, but there was lust between them. And then on top of that, Herod's pride not to show weakness to the people around him. Let him not think with humility and wisdom, but he let pride make his decisions. For Herod had said to his daughter, give me whatever you want. And she says, I want the head of John the Baptist. And the Bible says he deeply regretted his request or giving her that request. But instead of turning around saying, I'm sorry, I'm not going to take someone's life. Instead of saying, I'm sorry, but that, that is just not right. I'll give you anything, but you can't take somebody else's life. And being the bigger man, instead, he did not want to show face to all his guests. So he said, okay, give me the head of John the Baptist. This is what I know. Lust never has a happy ending. Pride always ends in destruction. Be careful not to get too close to people who are prideful because for when they will fall, you don't want to be in their path. And this is what happened with John the Baptist. Herod's pride and his lust caused him his life. Evil is powerful. What we also see about this story is this. Not everything turns out well. Not everything turns out well. Sometimes we, we think, well, the Bible says that all things work together for good for those who love God and are called according to his purposes. Yes, all things work together for the good of the kingdom of God. But sometimes in our lives, not everything turns out well. This would be a great story if in the midst of giving the order to kill John the Baptist, God suddenly appeared to Herod. 
Imagine if Jesus just suddenly appeared and was like, whoa, I'm Jesus. And Herod is like, Jesus is real. He lives. Imagine if God had showed up to Herod. And in that moment, Herod had turned his, his back on his sin and he looked to God. It would have been a moment where, where, where God would have been glorified. Imagine if someone as powerful as Herod had given their life to God. Then, then the king of Judah or Judea would have, would, have, would have been on fire for God. People would have come to see God. He would have could have passed laws that people would have been able to come and see God. Jesus would have had free reign to do what he wanted to do. But that's not how the story ended. Disney tells us happily ever after. Hollywood tells us the good guys always win. Hallmark tells us we always find love. But in reality... Not everything turns out as you hoped it would. Sometimes your dreams die. Sometimes you suffer. Sometimes you go through pain. Sometimes not everything turns out as you had hoped. John got beheaded. John didn't even die with dignity. It's not like he died in a battle where, and, and in dignity. It's not like he, he, he died and everyone came and mourned his death and there was a state funeral. He got beheaded. His head was, was served on a tray. When, when I was younger, in our, my hometown church, we had a, a lady called Karen. Karen was a sweet lady, and her family came to, to our church. Her husband did not know the Lord, uh, but her sister and her parents did. We found out one day that Karen had pancreatic cancer. And we're all in shock. And the doctors didn't give her long to live. So we did what any church would do. We prayed. And we prayed. And we prayed. And we believed that God was going to touch her. And we, 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 we regularly lay hands on her, and as the Bible says. And we prayed for her. And the amazing thing is, one day she went to the doctor. And the doctor said, the cancer's completely gone. We rejoiced. We, we celebrated as a church, knowing that God had performed a miracle. Her husband, through that, came to, to closer to God and came. He was coming to church every week, and, 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 and he could see that God was real. And, and as a church, we could just feel the celebration. About 12 months to the day, she had that diagnosis for the doctor. She went back. The cancer had returned. This time, stage four, pancreas cancer. The doctor says, you've just got a couple of months to live. It's spread everywhere. So what did we do as a church? We were saddened by the news, but we prayed. Because God had healed it before, God can do it again. And we prayed and we prayed and we prayed. And every meeting, we would come and we would lay hands on her. And, 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 and we would believe and we would say, God, just bring that healing. And we believe God was going to heal her. Even so much, one time, this famous American preacher came into town that we took her to see him so he could lay hands on her. But a couple of weeks later, she died. She died. And we mourned heavily as a church. The result was that our husband didn't want anything to do with God again. Didn't want anything to do with church. He was so heartbroken. Her family were heartbroken. And we as a church, we questioned God, why? 
Why would you heal her only 12 months later to take her life? I still don't know the answers to those questions, but this is what I know. In this life, not everything turns out as we had hoped. What is even more perplexing about the story of John the Baptist is that the Gospels really don't elaborate. He dies and then that's it. We hardly hear anything more about him. And then the Bible tells us that when Jesus heard that he died, the Bible says Jesus just went off on his own and that's it. You'd expect Jesus to be crying, Jesus to be comforting, Jesus to be there with his followers, but no, Jesus just went off by himself. Doesn't make sense. But there are times in life when bad things happen. They won't make any sense. What you prayed for won't always get answered. And sometimes the worst what you imagined could happen actually happens. And this is the reality of living in a broken and sinful world. And this is why as believers, heaven is our hope, not this world. However, to find purpose in this whole story, we have to go back to before John was even born to figure out what John's purpose was in life. Why did God take him so early? What a waste of a life. But this is what we know from John the Baptist. John the Baptist knew his role in life, and because he knew his role in life, he was able to fulfill his purpose. And like I said, in the 30 years or so that John the Baptist lived, he did more with his life than the majority of people will do in 90 years of living. And I believe everybody has a purpose in life. You have a purpose in life. But very few actually fulfill their purposes in life. And this is why. Because we try to be somebody that we're not. We try to be somebody that we're not. Let's be honest, looking at John the Baptist's life, John the Baptist could have tried to be Jesus. He came before Jesus. He had more followers than Jesus. He had more influence than Jesus. He had more respect than Jesus. People were even coming to John the Baptist and saying, hey, John, are you the Messiah? Now, if people are asking that, you know they're thinking it. This is the guy. Everyone, this is the guy, John's the Messiah. He's the one who's going to save Israel. John could have pretended to be Jesus. He could have been top dog. But John knew his role. And in doing, doing so, he fulfilled his purpose in life. John knew he wasn't Jesus. He was the man before Jesus. In Luke chapter 1 and verse 11 to 17, we find the purpose of John's life. And this is what it said. While Zechariah was in the sanctuary, remember, Zechariah was his dad. He was a priest. So while he was in the temple, an angel of of the Lord appeared to him, standing to the right of the incense altar. Zechariah was shaken and overwhelmed with fear when when he saw him. But the angel says, don't be afraid, Zechariah. God has heard your prayer. Their prayer was for a child. Your wife, Elizabeth, will give you a son, and you are to name him John. You will have great joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth, for he will be great in the eyes of the Lord. He must never touch wine or other alcoholic drinks. He will be filled with the Holy Spirit even before his birth. 
and he will turn many Israelites to the Lord their God. He will be a man with the spirit and power of Elijah. He will prepare the people for the coming of the Lord. He will turn the hearts of the fathers to their children. And he will cause those who are rebellious to accept the wisdom of the godly. Right there we see what John's purpose in life was. Did you hear what his purpose is? There's four things that I believe his purpose in life was. And this is what they are. To turn people to God. To turn hearts to love. To help the rebellious find wisdom. And most importantly and all, to prepare the people for Jesus. To prepare the people for Jesus. Basically, John's purpose in life, his job in life, was to build a roadway for Jesus to walk on. It was to open the doors so Jesus could walk on through. Without John the Baptist, Jesus would not have been as effective as what Jesus was. And John's life shows us this, that God isn't trying to do it solo. God wants to use you. God wants to use you. God wants to partner with you in in, in the business of the kingdom of God. God wants to use you. You also can prepare the way for Jesus. John's time was up. He had done what God had designed him to do. His role was not to ride all the way to Jerusalem with Jesus. His role was not to compete with Jesus. His role was to prepare the way for Jesus. John's life wasn't about living a long life for this world. It was about preparing people for Jesus so that people then can find Jesus and live for eternity with Jesus. Many are left asking, why did it have to end like this? I guarantee the friends and the family of John the Baptist could not see the purpose in John's death. I guarantee at the time they were weeping and they were mourning and they were probably thinking the same as what many of us have thought, God, why? Why? Why did it have to end? Why did his life end so short? Why why did it not work out the way that we thought it would work out? But this is what I know from walking this Christian life for, 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 for 32 years. This is what I know. There is purpose in the pain. There is a reason in the suffering. And you may not understand in this life what the purpose of the pain is. You may not understand in in how many years you're going to be on this earth what the reason in the suffering is. But if we are people of faith, then we have to believe there is purpose in the pain. There is reason in the suffering. In this world where evil is powerful and not, not everything turns out as we had dreamed, We cannot dictate what will happen tomorrow. But we can control what happens right now in this moment. Like John the Baptist, you can be someone who can prepare people for Jesus. You can show in a world that is full of lust and pride that there is a God who loves through humility.
You can show this world that even though not everything turns out as we had hoped, that there is a God to be trusted in and a God who cares. How are you helping people prepare for Jesus? When people meet you each and every day, are you leaving them in a place where if Jesus turns up, that they will recognize that he is Jesus? So this is what I know. If you show love and humility, then no matter what happens, whether good or bad, that you will have found purpose in this life and you would have prepared the way for Jesus to make the biggest impact. And that is the greatest purpose that anybody could do in this life. I don't know why still why John the Baptist was taken when he was. But it was his time. And God's timing is always perfect. God's timing is always right. There is purpose in the pain. There is reason in the suffering. Let's bow our heads in prayer. So while your heads are bowed and your eyes are closed, we're going to just finish off this service just with communion in just a moment. But before we do that, I just want to quickly pray for some of you in this place today. Some of you, you've gone through the heartbreak of losing loved ones. You've gone through the emotions of the pain of this life. You've gone through suffering. And you've maybe even asked the question, God, why? Why did that have to happen? And I'm not here to give you the answers today. Because some of us, we won't even get the answers until we get to heaven. But what we're here today, I'm here to tell you, is that you still keep trusting. You still keep believing. There is reason in what God does. And this evil world, when not everything turns out as we had hoped, there is one thing that we can trust. There is one thing that we can rely on. And that is a consistent God who loves us, who cares for us, who gave his life for us who looks out for us, who is our strength, who is our shield, who is our rock. And so no matter what we go through in this life, we know that there is a God who cares and a God who loves. 